Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Standing in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 40. Where have the last 39 gone? Lovely to be with you. <laughs> Annie Ma, missed last week. The voice just disappeared uh, and I've got a bone to pick with everybody involved in that show. I'll, I'll do that off air, however. I won't bring I won't bring petty issues and cheap point scoring to a public domain like this, nor would you, Mark Hayes, would you? That's not your go. Oh, uh, no, that's in the kicker of yeah, what yeah. Inside the Ropes is all about. Yeah, cheap shots, uh, you know, Pearl Harbor attacks, all this sort of thing. <laughs> it's it's what we do best, I think, Andy. How are you, my friend? Very well. Thanks. Was... We, we're glad you're back. The voice sort of... Is uh, Just, you know, it's never it's critical. Good. No, it's critical to inside the yeah, ropes. It's never and... good at the best of times. Alison Whitaker, who is an established and integral part of the family here now. Hello, Al. How are you? I'm so good. It is such a delight to be back in this tiny room with you, gents. <laughs> As always. Thanks for the very tiny coffee you bought me too, by the way. I know Thanks just... for the coffee, but I mean, it was you could have known. I could have had a grown-up size. I've never heard of a grown man order a baby Chino, but <laughs> it's what you asked for. That's, a, that's okay. Pig show today, Antonio Madaka, Sarah Kemp, and a young girl who plays golf up on the um, up, in, up in Gove, which is on the what peninsula? Nullin Boy. The Nullin Boy Peninsula, Caitlin Riker, to join us. She's got a fantastic story, so uh, we'll hear from her on the way through. Um I don't know where to start. There's a lot of little bits and pieces. We, we love seeing tournaments. I'll, I'll kick it off. We love seeing tournaments that start with a bit of a, not sure where this is going to go, and we'll sort of see whether it finds its feet and evolves and grows and um, turns into what it turns into. The, the Zurich of New Orleans has become a thing pretty quickly, I reckon, and I'm, I can't wait for it. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. I can't wait for it to kick off our time tonight. Wake up tomorrow morning and watch this thing. Well, I in particular have been banging on about the number of 72-hole medal play events over the year, and they just meld into one another. And, and you know, oh, this is just another tour event. Mm. This event, when held by the same sponsor for years and years and years, was just another boring, drab 72-hole event on the US PGA Tour. Give it a different lick of paint, new format, away you go. Now everyone calls it the Zurich. They don't even the mention Zurich, that it's yeah. in New Orleans or Louisiana it's just rock up and let's play a really wicked team format. You know, the players look forward to it. The sponsors are through the roof about what it's going to be and they're going to invest long-term and maybe even more cash. So that's fantastic for the sport. And the USPGA Tour is on another winner and all because in my mind that they've done something different here. And we, when you say we're going to start with bits and bobs, it's because it's a, this is a lull in the calendar. After the A&A Inspiration and the Masters, there are three, four weeks here when not much Big picture stuff is going on. Mm, so, mm. you know, full credit to these guys. The tournament's a cracker. I love the thing, too, that they're doing, Al. Some of the players, and this, so it's, it's, a, it's a team event. Um, you pair up and you play, and we have a, an obvious interest in it 
from a local perspective because Cam Smith won it last year with Jonas Blixt in that absolutely thrilling finish. You couldn't take your eyes off it last year. But I like the way the players are embracing this. They're obviously got their eyes on bigger prizes, particularly the elite players you know, in the world. But you see um, in a couple of the groups that we might have a quick look at, Jason Day's playing alongside Ryan Ruffles. Now, Jason Day knows how good a player Ryan Ruffles is, but if Jason Day really wanted to win this thing, he might, with all due respect to Ryan, look at teaming up with a different player. But it's not inconceivable that the Day-Ruffles combination could go deep into this thing. And I'm sure that Jason Day's looking at this as an opportunity to take Ryan Ruffles under his wing, knows that he's an emerging superstar, and just help him on his way into you know the elite domestic golf um, tour on planet Earth. Well, how much can you learn in four days? I think that's the mm. question that Ryan's going to be asking himself before and after the next week, really. And it is such an opportunity for him. And I know that Jason's been a bit of a mentor to, to Ryan throughout the years anyway. But um, I... I'm just stoked that Jason took that opportunity. So, and I think he's really taking a bit of a role, um, especially, you know, with being an ambassador for my golf as well. Um, I think he's, you know, he's got his own kids now. He's starting to kind of see the big picture. And he's never been a selfish bloke. He's always been lovely. But I think he's just starting to to put that into action now, which is uh, which is great to see. And, and I, I learned this week, Andy, that Ryan had actually been training in the American winter in Arizona, I believe, with uh, with Jason Day or somewhere in you know in the southwestern United States anyhow that actually it, it extended not just to Louisiana but you know across a few months and he's taken Ryan under his wing here uh, on a more generous basis. I, I... So so there's one of those things, Hazy. We we sometimes criticise our elite level players who are based internationally for not always coming back and supporting. The local, the, the small local tour we have here, you know, over our um, summer period, it doesn't mean they're not giving what they can um, or what they choose to give. They, they, they are, they, when they can, they feel that they can still do something to help develop the game here. And while it might not be everything to everyone, this is Jason Day doing his bit for Australian golf because he knows what Ryan Ruffles can be. He knows how proud Ryan Ruffles can make the Australian golf community if Ruffles can turn the talent that he's got into, you know, meaningful results. Yeah, no, no one in this room is going to sit here and say Jason Day is doing all he can for Australian golf. That no, would be foolish no. and it would fall on deaf ears. I know yeah. our listenership wouldn't agree with that in the slightest. But I will say he still identifies strongly as being Australian, and I think that's three quarters of the battle. And to see them pair up, those two, Ruff and, and JD, can, that could be awesome. If they get on a roll, that's just going to be phenomenal. I think the format's going to help as well, yeah. given the you know that it's a four ball. I, I think the whole way through, isn't it? No, it's, they play foursomes. They and play four foursomes ball. and four ball. And having that team aspect just changes everything mm. in golf. I can't I can't tell you how much it changes your mind frame in tournament play to have someone else there. Like obviously when you hit a bad shot in foursomes, you want to apologize. But yeah. <laughs> you know, you usually have the discussion on the first tee, no one's saying sorry. Yep, no one's saying sorry. Okay. Right. I know you didn't want to hit in the trees, yeah. you know, and you get past it, but that in itself and 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 not having to apologize to someone like Jason Day for hitting him <laughs> in the junk, which is probably going to happen every now and then. But, I mean, hopefully it doesn't, but just that whole navigation of the teamwork under high pressure, especially on that kind of stage, is going to be priceless. 
Uh, I'll be barracking hard. Not that it's pair against pair, but they are drawn to play, you know, uh, alongside another couple. Um, the defending champions, half of the team Australian, is playing Patrick Cantlay and <laughs> Patrick Reid. Um, now, we've celebrated the Reid win at Augusta the first time he's teed it up since then. I'll be varying. I, I, I really, I really want Cam Smith and Jonas Blix just through the first couple of days just to get a result. Just, just, <laughs> just have a little win here, boys. Just for my, just for me, if you wouldn't mind. Look, how up and about is Andy? We're talking about that, Ellie. Look at him. He's just got this boyish <laughs> spring happen, in his stride. I like it. it. Just you know, you have those. I'm just invested in that because we'll get to see a lot of that when you you turn on Friday morning, Saturday morning. We're going to see a lot of that. Um, a lot of that. What do you what do you call it? You don't call it a four ball. You call it a grouping. A grouping. Mm. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't it happen? I oh, know it can happen. Of course, oh, it can. I'm, I'm yeah, no, bullish course. about its chances yeah. of happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would have happened last year if they played together. Yeah, they true pants. No, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, we've we've said enough nice things about Patrick <laughs> Reed to cover our backside for the last we don't couple of weeks. Apologising. Uh, so the other Aussies still two Chalmers and Percy are playing alongside Matt Jones is teeing it up with Chad Campbell. And Aaron Baddeley is playing with um, Scott Stallings. We'll talk to, about Bads in a moment because, again, he led all Australians in Texas uh, the um, the tournament Valero. won by Andrew Valero, the tournament won by Andrew Landry. We'll get to that in a moment. But there's another element to um, the Zurich, <laughs> and that's the walkout songs, which we uh, attribute more to um, you know Ryder Cup type sort of formats. But this is darts gonna, and darts. This is going to be fun. If there's ever been a way to change people only tuning in for the last nine holes of a tournament, it's making the first tee an event. And that's what, you know, in broadcast we talk about the fact that, you know, people people don't watch until the last two hours mm-hmm. on Tuesday, on Sunday. But this is a way to get people in from the beginning, from, from a broadcast and from a tournament perspective, getting those bums in seats early on in the day and making that, you know, it's something to be a part of. The first tee, a seat at the first tee, an absolute priority. And the camera on more than five groups, which is just an absolute, you know, shocker uh, yes. in US television. So, you know, come out with a ripping song, give your sponsor some airplay. I know Cam Percy's doing something pretty special this week. I haven't got the details with us here now, but he's doing something for charity, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, look, we, and we might talk about that in a second, but this is what Ali's talking about. It, it's the chance... And it's what I was talking about before that the the profile that this event's been given now, it's not we're not saying it's not a major, it's nothing like that, but you know, it, it's a chance for lesser known people to put their little, you know, two bobs worth yeah. into the spotlight. And, you know, Cameron Percy, I think, is a is a great example of that, Ali. Yeah, well Cam's always been kind of that that kind of guy that can just see the big picture and I think um, he has a lot of life experience behind him. I remember, you know, playing a lot of golf with him when he was um, in and around the VIS with, you know, Mark Leishman and Jared Lyle and all of those guys. But what he's essentially done is he's put his hat sponsor up. Um, he had a blank hat and he said, I want my hat sponsored and, and everything's going to go um, to, to charity. And I'm <laughs> scrolling through to try and... Um, it's autism, isn't it? Isn't he do- is that, I think he's doing something with autism. Yeah, and it, it's the maximum chances. Yeah. Um, Charity, so maximumchances.org. And essentially, yeah, it is kids with autism. But, I mean, just the way he went about it. Yeah, I, I love yeah. that, that he actually almost put it up for bid. Yeah. So people were, he, he threw it out on the Twitter sphere. And then as soon as someone put it, put their hand up, he said, that's great. What else is there? And and just slowly crept his way up. And 
and essentially, um, yeah, he's going to be raising a lot of money for charity, which that's is great. pretty cool. That maximum chances, that's um, the great charm is young fellas, exactly. Max. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, that's another – what a great way. I mean, nah, awesome. Greg Chalmers is as good a bloke as he is, and we love him dearly. He's just not in that high-profile thing that the US TV is going to follow. But now he gets mm. that chance, and that MaximumChances.org gets a bit of exposure that it wouldn't have got. Yep, win, win. Um, so the walkout songs. We don't generally spin the tunes on Inside the Ropes. But oh, priceless. What, who, who's coming out with that? Who's walking out to... Are you going to say it? Or who's no, walking out to Ebony you. and Ivory? <laughs> this is all you, Ellie. I was reading through these overnight, and I genuinely thought that it was, it was almost borderline how funny it was. But it is, <laughs> it is uh, Harold Varner the Third, oh, Perfect. And, uh, and Robert... Is it Garrigus? Garrigus, yeah. yeah go so that's great. That's their walkout yeah. song, Brilliant. and there are a couple of absolute ringers in there as well. Uh, uh, a couple have taken your eye, I think, Hazy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you mentioned the word gold a second ago, Andy. The one that definitely caught my eye was my eye was uh, Justin Rose and Henrik Stenson, who fought out that epic battle at the Rio Olympics <laughs> for the gold medal. They're walking out to gold. By Spandau Ballet. Now, Ali hadn't heard this song before, so yeah. you did a rendition of it for her. And, I, st- a, and I still haven't heard it. Can you? <laughs> such a pity I, I think the, for the, the listening audience, you need to just reprise a bit of that for us. Can you just give us the best, your best Spandau Ballet, please? Always believe in yourself. You've got the power to know you're indestructible. Always believe it. You are gold. Now, in my experience of radio, Ellie, when you ask somebody to sing, they generally say, nah, no way am I going to do that around a live mic. <laughs> Clearly, Hazy rates himself enormously. Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. You no, must because I no don't. one sings no, that quickly without got, putting up a fuss. I've got no shame. That's a all. There's a big difference. He had one hand on a microphone and the other on his headphones like a true oh, recording yeah, artist. Absolutely. Straight out of Spandau Ballet. Uh, so that's going to be fun, and we'll watch that with a great deal of interest, and hopefully Australians will be there right in the mix. Joey is our producer. He's looked like he was frantically trying to find gold, but we don't need it, Joey. Have you got it? You haven't got it, have you? Well, oh, he has. Maybe. Hang on. I think you might have it. This is probably the version that more other people have become a bit familiar with. It takes a bit of a build-up. Thank you for coming home. Sorry Sweet lyrics, aren't they? Is that Spandau Ballet? Is that me? Anyway, that's just started. We don't need. Maybe just let the rest. Let, let the go underneath this show until we get to yeah. the. We get to, now that's a good song. Fade to Black's a great. Song. Here we go. And we built. No, we're not. No, it's not ready yet. Uh, I, I just. I'm disappointed. The only thing that's disappointed me is there's a couple of End of Sandman's and there's a couple of Thunderstrucks and people had the chance to go out in a limb here, and and here you go, Joey. Crank this up, mate. <laughs> I gotta say, Hazy, you did a pretty good job with that. Always believing. He's going alright. Okay. I don't want to, It's the last time I'll say that. Thought he was gonna bust the harmony. Uh, well, <laughs> I just think that uh, the, you know it, it's something. When do we talk about this stuff? I mean, no, we know it's great. I agree. And uh, you know, tick, tick, tick for the Zurich. Here, <laughs> here. Uh, so last week, uh, we'll get to the women's stuff uh, on the other side of the break after we talk to our one of our special guests, Albert. Uh, we mentioned Landry wins his first PGA Tour victory. He breaks um, 
uh, you know, a, a lot of time on the PGA Tour with his first win. Did it pretty comfortably in the end. Uh, from a local perspective, we every now and again we just mention Aaron Battley in passing, and, and again, tie sixteen, so he's got another top twenty. He. <laughs> I won't be surprised when he wins next. Uh, he, no, no. He'll, he'll win again soon, Baddeley. He's, he just stays. He makes enough cuts. He still shoots low enough, often enough, to put himself in the frame. He never really got into a winning position in Texas. But, again, another top 20. You keep doing that often enough, and a win is going to bob up. And he has this habit of doing it. Once every couple of years, Baddeley will win. And he's clearly in good enough nick to do it again. Yeah, and we all know, and it's the one thing that not a lot of Australian players take around the world. I mean, he's messed around with his swing, and we could sit here and talk about that and criticise it all we want. He's got the magical putter. Mm. And if he hit, if he heats up, he can still do anything. And his world ranking jumped up again. It's back towards 125 or 130 or something like that this week. And he just he does not lay down. He's nope. sort of off the radar. I'll make an effort to get him on in the next few weeks if he's got some time for us. He, he's like that. He's, he's a good bloke. So I'm imagining it won't be too big a drama. Um, but fascinating for someone who we haven't spoken about as being a, a force Yeah, on the US Tour That's for, for years and for years. For a long time, yep. Uh, and he just continues to pound away and, and get the job done. And he's always a bit of a footnote when we talk about the Australians yeah. in America. Oh, yeah, and Baddeley made the cut again, finished tied 34th, yep. picked up another healthy check. He's always a bit of an add-on to the conversations we're having about the impact that, is, that Australians are making, you know, particularly in America, particularly men, obviously. Um, but he's just, he's, he's a survivor, this guy, at the top level. And that's not easy to do. It's very easy. So a lot of players out on the web.com and, you know, PGA qualif- you know, qualifying schools who have won multiple times on the PGA Tour and they get lost. They lose their card and they find it struggle. They struggle to get back to the big dance. And, and this bloke's just doing it year in, year out. Oh, we praise, uh, we'll just talk about the guys here in particular. We praise guys who have won once on the US PGA Tour. You know, uh, Craig Parry, Peter Lonard, mm. there's a handful of them. Bad just won four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, by any measure, a normal measure, it's a storied career. Yeah. I think we had high hopes in 99-2000 when he won the two back-to-back Aussie Opens, one as an amateur, one as a pro. Oh, my God, this guy's going to be a rock star. Yep. He's not a rock star, but, gee, he's put together a, a career that, to be proud of. Absolutely, he has. Uh, over in Europe, the trophy, Hassan alexander Levy wins. Uh, from a domestic perspective, Ryan Fox tied nine. Um, you know, he is a great contributor, even though he's got a slightly different flag than ours and lives just a couple of hours away. We'll keep an eye on the Kiwis and particularly ones that are such regular contributors to the Australian tour. Uh, Ryan had a top T9 there. Of most interest to me, with all due respect, him was Marcus Fraser, who's a bit of a mate of mine, plays out of the same golf club, uh, is spending some time with a family over in Switzerland. They've moved over there. Switzerland? Sweden. Sweden. Sweden, of course it is. Um, to spend some... The kids are at the right age to enjoy a bit of, you know, the the experience that the old man has from a professional perspective. Went through a bit of a rough trot a couple of months back. Was missing a lot of cuts. And it was unusual for Fraze, who's generally mm. so, you know, in the mix all the time, you know, getting through to the weekend, banking checks... Well, he's made five cuts in a row now. He's changed golf club um, supplier recently. He's gone to the Mizuno Irons. 
uh, about six months ago, I'm going to suggest there or thereabouts. So, you know, Ali, there's that time, you know, more than me and Hazy, um, there's a time of adjustment in anybody who's so attuned to equipment to find their way, as enthusiastic as he is about the new equipment. But he finished tied 22nd over at um, over at the Trophy Sun, and it just feels like with those five made cuts in a row, it just feels like he's starting to get the wheel turning the right way for himself again. Yeah, just a little momentum. I, mm. uh, and I think a lot of that um, came from the the mental side of the game and the fact that he, he actually, you know, toward the end of last year and the start of this year, I had a chat with him at the Perth Super, World Super 6 um, earlier this year about it. And he was talking about how, you know, his, his priorities have shifted mm. a little bit. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, like... So many golfers say if you've got something else to, to focus on and he, he's just taken a little bit of the pressure off his game by doing that as well, which means that, you know, it's not 100% golf anymore for him and he's allowing his family to be more of a priority. Not that it wasn't by any means mm. um, to begin with, but in terms of the amount of time he's spending at home and I, I think you just get to be a bit more of a human rather than a golfer mm. and it's it's such a liberating feeling and I'm, I'm so happy for him that he's had the career that's allowing him to do that as well because some guys have to keep on playing, keep on making the money and, uh, and it's not that he won't. He might end up making more this way. We should never lose sight of that, should we? I mean, that, that's one of those... Um, it gets discussed, obviously, but it's never given the uh, real... Not not never, but not often enough is it given the um, status in a professional's career that it should in terms of the impact the time away from home, time away from family must have. And that's why you know, see so many Australians relocate. Um, they move over to America. They, the family becomes... Um, American, and that's just the price that you have to pay to do this. But the guys that are, you know, sort of shoveling from Australia to other parts of the world and trying to get back to reconnect with a growing family, and he loves, he's got two mm. young fellows and he loves them dearly, and they're a very, they're a very traditional, typical Melbourne family, the Frasers. You know, they love a barbecue, they love their local golf club, they love having a kick of the footy, they love going to see the Bombers. I'll, for Fraser's sake, I wish he had been there yesterday because we don't like Essendon. and Not that we like the other mob all that much either, but we love seeing Essendon supporters walk away from the MCG with their tails between their legs, but that's a story for another day. But he's a very normal, uncomplicated, simple, you know, in all the right ways, um, Australian bloke. So mm. I would imagine these kids are getting to that age now where they're starting to, oh, Dad, we'd like you to be around a bit more. That mm. That must take a toll on a guy who has a career the type that Marcus Fraser has. I, you, a question without notice, Andy. Did you, and last time you spoke to him, did you assess how his injury was as well? Because that's got to be a factor as well. He's been battling that for a while, I think. Just, But he's been, I think physically, he's been pretty good. You know, I haven't spoken to him for a while about you know how the body's coming. But the last time I did speak to him about it, um, are you talking about the... the, yeah, the, the no, the I arm. think he's fine with that now. Unless there's been a... Uh, you know, something that's developed recently that no, I, I don't know about. But his results would say no. No, so. no. I think he's fine. I think he's got past that. You know, he had the problem with the neck as well. Remember the story when he's mucking around the pool with his kid, or he might have been pull, pulling his kid out of the bath or something. He just ricked the neck, and mm. that was that was really serious there for a while. So he's had a couple of those things through that kind of through the thirties that he's had to deal with. But I feel like he's physically. Last time I spoke to him, he's in pretty good nick. There's another one I need to get on the show. <laughs> Fraser, you're just giving me homework here, Andy. Well, yeah, well, 
you do a pretty good job. <laughs> you do a pretty good job. Um, so he seems to be heading in the right direction, which is a, which is a good thing. Um, we'll get a break out of the way. Uh, Antonio Madak is not too far away from joining. He's going to be talking about the Blitz. We talk about the Zurich and the. you've mentioned the Super 6. And golf is trying, I reckon, isn't it? Golf's trying to come up with ways to invent um, tournament play and competitions that do break the mould a little bit, but still maintain the integrity of the game. And um, the Blitz was held last week over in South Australia. I talked to Madaka, who won it, about it. But did you two hear anything about the the way it was kind of rolled out? Yeah, I, I did. I'm not sure whether you did, Elliot, but uh, the Australian PGA Tour um, should be absolutely congratulated for getting behind. Uh, it's a private guy who, who set it up in, in train, but... Uh, it went so well at Glenelg that there, I understand that you know there are bigger things afoot for it. Um, whether it eventuates into a proper, in inverted commas, tour event, I'm not sure. But um, how it was received by the people in Adelaide and also by the pros who are always looking for new ways to get involved and obviously a chance to make a dollar. But uh, it was the first of many, shall we say, I believe. Cool. I, I think it's going to be something that... Uh, gets a chance in every in every state in Australia at some stage in the future. Good. Okay, we're going to break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Come back, talk to the winner of the Blitz, his first win as a pro, Antonio Madaka, after this. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Visit Good day, Australia. It's Matt Kamensky, Executive Director for the President's Cup 2019. For all the latest golf news, please turn in Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to the show. Um, just before we went to the break, we were mentioning the Blitz, which was the inaugural playing of it over at Glenelg Golf Club last week. Um, a really interesting concept and one that Hazy mentioned might sort of take shape and start to develop uh, right around the country. And who knows where it goes thereafter. It was one the initial one by Antonio Madaka, who's a young man who's been on our radar for quite some time now, and he's been good enough to join us on the show from PNG, where he's over for um, the PNG mm. Open uh, in Port Moresby. Antonio, thanks for joining us on the show. No, no worries. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. I know the line's a bit dodgy from us to you, so hopefully whatever gremlins are there will just stay away for the next couple of minutes. Hey, mate, congratulations on your first win. It hasn't come in a traditional event, but I don't think that makes any difference to you. No, you know, I'm very, uh, very happy and very excited about it. Um, you know, all the hard work and, um, you know, all the time out in the range and work with my coaches just starting to pay off. So it's very exciting to see myself have a win and hopefully in the, you know, in the coming weeks, months, maybe even this week, we'll um, hopefully get a tour win. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens from here. All right, mate, I'll ask the tough one first, and then we'll get all touchy-feely with you after that. But, you know, th- things, you won the, the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship, you go to the Masters, and everyone's got high expectations of you, by default almost. Uh, things didn't go well after you turned pro for for a year or so, um, but you've really turned that corner around. I hope you don't mind me saying that, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you felt about it too. Yeah, you know, it was, um, it was, it was quite tough when I turned pro. I didn't really didn't really make any cuts. I had one 
uh, one event where I had a top pro over at the WA Open, and other than that, to be honest, it wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't the best. Um, so you know, since then it's been um, a bit of a turnaround, as you said. I changed coach about 12 months ago, so I've been pretty hard you now with my coach Troy Lane, who's a uh, who's up at Blackwood, and we um you know we changed changed a little bit of my swing and or most of my swing and worked uh, worked pretty hard together. So the last few months have been um, pretty nice, you know, from from Q school where I had a where I come kick there and you know secured my card for the year and uh, came tenth over into Warmba, fifth over in um, New Zealand and. Now with the uh, with the win of the blitz is um it's pretty exciting for me. So it, what's the difference? What do you do? Is it is it a more professional swing in inverted commas now? Because you're at the top of the amateur game yeah. in some respects there, and all of a sudden you find that's not working for you. What do you do to make it a swing that's going to keep you afloat on the professional tours of the world? Oh, uh, you know, I just I've just made everything a little bit more simple in my swing, so I um understand where the ball's going to go now and. Um, if something's going wrong, I know where it's coming from, so it's it's more of a an easy fix in a sense. So, um, you know, I've just simplified everything down and made everything a little bit less complicated, and makes the makes the game a hell of a lot easier when you when you know where the ball's going to go. All right, Andy, I'll, I've given him you know a backhander, so we'll praise him up here. Antonio is the exact same person um, he was the day before he left the to the, go to the Masters and through that 18-month period afterwards mm. as he is now. So, like, full praise for not having gone ahead of himself, getting behind, getting behind yourself if there's such a thing. He's the same man that he used to be, and I think that's, um, you know, to be absolutely credited. You, you would agree with that? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I don't think um, anything's changed for me. I just feel like I've, um, I've always worked hard. And, um, if anything, just working even harder now. I've uh, seen a couple of results and, you know, you just want to get better and better. So, you know, we'll just um, you know, head down, work hard and hopefully um, see some more results. So I'm interested in that. Before we talk to you about the win, just last one from me on that transition from amateur to pro. Everything changes when you do that, I imagine, Antonio. The pressure that comes um, with the the way you see yourself. You're no longer an amateur on the way up. You're a pro, and now you've got to start making some money. When the money doesn't start coming in, and Lucas Herbert's been really honest about this in the last kind of six months, when the money doesn't start coming in, the bank, bank balance doesn't start filling up, and yet your expenses continue you know, apace, so you've still got to pay for things on the way through... Um, how big a transition is that to deal with, um, you know, for somebody who finds himself in that position early in their professional career? You know, it's, um, it's very tough. You've, I think uh, once you're in that position, you've got to be smart about uh, what you do, how you spend your money, what, what you're playing. And, um, you know, obviously, if you can get that little bit of help and support from... Uh, you know, from someone that, that's willing to, you know, or wanting to see you succeed is is always a good thing. Where I was, I was lucky to have that when I turned pro, and um, yeah, I thought I've been pretty smart with my choices this year. As you know, money is obviously not as, um, you know, obviously harder to get. But um, yeah, I think I'm just going to stick to one or two schools at the end of the year. I've got third stage for, for Japan, so I'll, I'll definitely go to that as a Moretta. Um, you know, I'm sort of in front on that aspect instead of going to first stage again. So, you know, I think you just got to be smart with your money and just, you know, go from there, really. 
you know, you speak of support, and there was a massive amount of support from the pros from um, for the Blitz Golf event as well. I feel like it really, you know, for for a Ladbroke series, pro, which is a, the Pro Am series uh, here in Australia, there was a lot of pros that really, you know, that might not have generally played those Pro Am series kind of events that that came out. Did the event have a bit of a different buzz about it in terms of, you know, it being just something so different that everyone was really, really willing to kind of accept and get on board with Antonio? You know what? It was very, it was very exciting. It was, um, it was pretty cool to see the, um, you know, past champions and, and stuff. You know, the guys that have, you know, been at the top to be out there. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty exciting. You, you sort of rock up and you see, uh, you see Craig Parry having a part and, you, um, you know, O'Malley was out there. And, you know, you see all those guys having... Yeah, you know, having a little bit of practice before you kick off. Sort of felt like a, a tour event in a way. So it's, um, you know, it was a very exciting format. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. It was, it really did feel like a, uh, like a, like a decent, um, how can I put it? Almost like it did feel like a tour event to me. So I was, um, I was just very excited by the end of the day, to be honest. How long will it take you to explore? For those who are hearing us talk about the Blitz but don't really understand the the format as it was played, how long will it take you to to explain to us how the um, tournament played out? Um, it was pretty simple. It was easier to get your head around. It, was just, um, it starts with a... Uh, so, obviously, with your nine-hole Blitz, and then from there they cut the field down, I think it was to 20 blokes, and then they did it through a six-hole Blitz, so they... They uh, cut you back out there and you play six holes and 12 people got through. Uh, I think from there we played a three-hole blitz where uh, four people got through. And then um, in the finals, it was it was obviously the four people. So from there, they do well, they also do the count back. So the last hole is usually a hole that will start the count back off. And, um, you know, if you have it, it goes back to the previous hole and to the previous hole. And if you're in that three-hole blitz where everyone's hard. I think they go back to a, um, to a pitch-up. So then the winner of that goes into the finals. So it's, um, it was very interesting. It was very it was a very cool concept, and I think it's going to um, it's definitely going to get a lot bigger. How long did the whole day? How long did the whole day take? Can you remember? Was it like it was at a kind of four four and a half hour type um, you know um, experience, or was it a bit longer than that? Um, I think it started. I think we kicked off that. 11.15-ish, I think 11.30 maybe, and finished by 6, 6.10 that night. So it was, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't super quick, but the cool thing about it was it was, it was the, the four rounds in one. So I, could, I couldn't see how you could make it a three- or a four-day thing, but it brings all four rounds into the one, and it's just, you know, it's just a real... Real cool day. So, Andy, those blitz things that Antonio is talking about—it's it, just an aggregate of scores over nine, then mm. six, and then three. Uh, Antonio, you got a—you got a—you got to use a couple of those tie-breaking formats. But in the, I believe in the three-hole blitz, the last one before the final, and then again in the in the the, the final itself, uh, the count back in in the, on the eighteenth hole. Yeah, so I was, um, I was pretty lucky. Actually, I tied. 16, bogey 17, birdie 18, and ended up winning on the count back as one of the other guys had um, three straight pars. So that, that count back hole, which was the 18th, was my birdie hole. 
Yeah, bugger consistency. That, that's that, much yeah, better. No, no, of course, absolutely. Yeah. And then, mate, in the in the fading light at Glenelg Golf Club, you, you the four of you went off into the final, and and you and Dimi Papadados, uh, after your eagle chance slid by, had a chance to go back and play the wedge off for the for all the chocolates. Yeah, yeah, we sure did. So that was um, that was different. That was that was pretty cool. I, I had a pitching uh, a pitching comp for that amount of money, so that was uh, that was pretty exciting. <laughs> so could you see the flag? I mean, we, and let, paint the picture for us because uh, some of us are watching it on Facebook Live from the PGA of Australia. It looked pretty dark. It was it was quite dark. You could you could just see the flag. Obviously, you could see the green and whatnot. You hit the shot and. You sort of lose the ball in the air, and you couldn't really see it land. So I, I sort of went off the vibe of the crowd. Um, I felt like it was a pretty decent, shot, but then it rose to the, the front edge. So waiting for Dimmy to hit, I, I saw his start a little left, and then you know, I couldn't see it. So they had to get the measuring tape out, and um, you know they called out over the over the speaker. So that was, um, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. You know, you couldn't. You're playing for 15 grand. You couldn't see the flag. <laughs> <laughs> and well, am I right in saying that um, the announcer at the 18th green, and I'm excusing him by the way, given the light, he initially said that Dimmy had got the got the win. Yeah, he did. But um, it was quite funny because I was sort of measuring it out, and I saw Dimmy's ball was outside the measuring tape, and then I sort of thought to myself, oh, I must have got it, and then I called out Dimmy's name, went, oh. And then everyone sort of yelled out, "No, it's wrong!" And um, uh, then they corrected and stuff. So that was that was good, mate. Well done. It's yeah. uh, you, as as Hazy said right from the word go. A couple of years ago, you put your name up in lights, and mm. uh, we've all been on uh, Madaka watch for quite some time. And to see you get the win here is absolute validation for the talent that you've got. And we wish you all the very best in Port Moresby. So just be careful. Wandering those streets, maybe after dark, brother, just keep to the golf course in the hotel, I would have thought, and um, get back here nice and safely, and uh, we'll continue to watch you um, strut your stuff on, not only the domestic tour, but hopefully um, the bigger ones around the world uh, as time uh, passes by. Thanks for joining us on the show. No, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Good, Good on you, Antonio. Antonio Madaka, who wins his first pro event, the inaugural Blitz in Glenelg. So there you go. He's, un- he's away. You get that first win. I can't imagine what a difference that must make in the mind of a young professional golfer. It must change your outlook on how you belong, your status in the game, your self-belief. All of that sort of stuff must be gigantically switched. Well, what it does is it, it, puts, it puts shots in the memory bank for the next time you need them. And, you know, he's going to go back to that shot that he played against Dimmy Mm. in the dark, that, you know, that one, you know, one shot shootout. He's going to go back to that when he needs it the next time, when he's under pressure. And and it just gives you a bank of shots to remind yourself that you've done it before and you can do it again. Yeah, that'd be huge. And further to that, um, there was great support. I mean, he grew up playing pennant, I think, for Seton, I want to say Seaton, I'm not sure, to be honest. But he's played so much golf at Glenelg. His coach, his former coach, I should say, Gareth Jones, was based there. So he's been around there a lot. And the roar that went up, even I was watching on Facebook Live, the roar that went up was really good. Like it was, you know, he had a lot of local support. Yep, and, yep. Uh, he's a Grange boy now, isn't he? I, I think. think he's yeah, moved out the there, Grange, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and look, you know, as Ali says, you know, the, the feel of the crowd was bigger than perhaps it might have been, especially for him. It was just great and... and Full credit to the PGA of Australia for making these things happen. Here, here. And and again, even this week, you know, to take the tournament to P and G, we know they go to 
Um, they've already had a big pro-am up there um, last week. We know they go to Fiji. New Zealand's obviously a different story, much more advanced. But not only are we giving uh, golf exposure in the regional areas, it's giving our young guys like Antonio a chance to get that feeling before they hit the big time. Absolutely. And, and as we said before, having these unique and creative events that still hold true to the game. They are different. They're not four holes of 70, 72 holes of stroke, four rounds, but they are, you've still got to play the game properly to win these things. And there's nothing wrong with tours being dotted, I don't think, with events like the Blitz and the one we've already talked about over in New Orleans. It, it breathes a bit of fresh air into the game. Well, yeah, I mean, I've played golf in a lot of places and there's few places that have embraced new formats better than Australia. In, and that's the reality of it. The, the ISPS Honda PGA Tour of Australasia mm. lives up to the name. They go overseas. They they support a lot of, you know, the Asian countries that don't have their own tours. You know, you hear a lot about um, China, Korea, you know, the, a lot of the men's Asian tours as well. But um, the ALPG and the partnership, you know, with Gavin Kirkman and Amber Ellen, they're doing a great job. And uh, and that partnership is only going to get stronger the more they think outside the box. I think they're doing a really good job. We're going to break out of the way. You're listening to Inside the Roast. More to come after this. G'day. I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Dave. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, it's Nick O'Hearn here. Whenever I get the chance, I catch up with Inside the Ropes to follow up on all the latest golf, and I urge you all do the same. It's a great show. Time to talk uh, the women's game. We'll get to what happened over in the States in a moment, but let's focus on Europe, uh, you two, because it was a whole lot closer to home for our perspective where the interest levels lay, particularly with somebody, Ali, you've known for a very, very long time, Sarah Kemp, who was right there when the whips were cracking on the weekend in Morocco. She was, and, and realistically, I think that's the the most charging I think I've seen Kempi play. You know, she's kind of one of those players that's it's got up to the top level for the majority of her career, really. Um, we haven't heard much f- about her because she's kind of always been the, the consistent top tenor yeah. um, with a couple of chances, obviously a couple of runner-up finishes. But great to see her in the mix uh, over in Morocco at the Lala Merriam Cup. Bloody hard golf course, well, too. Well, yeah, with a couple of very testing holes coming home, <laughs> which we'll talk to Sarah about, no doubt, as she joins us on Inside the Ropes after a weekend where it was so close to yielding her first win on the um, European Tour. Sarah Kemp joins us on the show. Sarah, thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Have you stopped kicking? Your, was it a was there a bit of, you know, great to have, when you sort of did your own self-analysis of what you've been through, was there a bit of, yeah, great to be in the mix and I played really well, added in with a bit of kicking yourself on the way through that was there a bit of both as you kind of reviewed this one yeah definitely um i came pretty close i didn't uh i was proud of myself because i didn't um i played really solid the whole week and i didn't lose it um even though i had a you know i i, I obviously equal leader going into the final round um but I made one mistake. I hit a bad drive on the 11th, and then I recovered pretty well. I just tired uh, the rest of the way home, and I didn't really know how I stand um, until, obviously, I saw the leaderboard on um, an 18, and then 
the two-hole playoff. Um, that was, I guess, uh, I missed about a six-foot on the last, and the second playoff was a birdie. So that was disappointing. Um, I can't really complain about, you know, what I did throughout the whole week. It was really solid. I played, I played pretty good, travelled all that way. Um, so other than the six-footer missing on that hole, um, that was slightly disappointing. But, yeah, just, like, to get a second place and be in a playoff and just play the way I did, I was pretty happy with it in the end. In one of your, your post-round uh, interviews from your first few days, Kempi, you said that you were feeling surprisingly calm. And that was that was a really kind of a, a ring-the-bell moment for me because I'm like, good, she's calm. She's in a great frame of mind. <laughs> Well, you just, you know, we talk about the zone, which I think is kind of a ridiculous word, but you were obviously in a great state of mind that week. I was. Um, I don't know if it had anything to do with it, but um, I bought a dog the week before. <laughs> so um, I, I kind of had, <laughs> um, my mind was sort of all over the place trying to organise uh, the dog. I bought a little French bulldog. I wanted one forever and... Just trying to get, you know, like, was she okay with being, you know, being away and um, having a dog sit on? I might sound ridiculous, but um, I had, I also have an apartment in Cronulla back home in Sydney and I was putting that on Airbnb. So I had, I had just a whole week of, it's almost like I, I wasn't really concentrating too much in golf. I had so much other stuff to worry about. And obviously, you know, you guys are golfers, that, that stuff can really help. So I, I did a lot of um, worrying about other stuff that was going on in my life and I just got out to the golf course and it was like a little getaway, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, I did feel pretty calm and uh, probably changed a little bit on the back nine in the last day. But <laughs> overall, it was, it was pretty calm. That's great. Now, you're actually the second person that I've heard this year in the women's game say that buying a dog helped them. Because, you know, Sung Hyun Park, every time she's bought a dog, she's won the next week. Do you know what's really funny is I took my dog for a walk this, uh, this afternoon and she wanted to steal it. She was green and <laughs> Jasmine and I were walking past and here we go, we run into her and look like she wanted to steal it. So, um, But yeah, I, I must admit, um, I haven't been around too many pets in my life. I never had one growing up um, and I just, I'd always went around and the opportunity had uh, had been right um, uh, coming in this year. So uh, they're definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean... I, should, I wish I'd have got one as a kid, so it's a wonderful distraction. Sarah, so just for the record, what sort of dog is it? French Bulldog. And what's its name? Jazz, J-A-Z-Z. J-A-Z-Z. And what colour is it, black and white? Uh, no, she's uh, white with some uh, tan spots on her back. All right, good. You know, they say this it's is... Like, uh, yeah, it's lucky I finished second because she cost a, a, a mozza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm told that I don't want to scare you about this, but I'm sure. Did you do much research into French bulldogs before you bought one? Yeah, I'm well aware of how okay. much they snore. Oh, right, um, good. But yes. I do know that there are things that can be done to uh, yes. which I most definitely will probably be doing. <laughs> they, they can. French Bulldog owners, we've got a few around us, Sarah, and I've got a dirty old um, Groodle who takes very low maintenance except for brushing his hair. 
But all the French Bulldog owners are always bitching and moaning about how expensive these dogs are when you have to go to, not only to buy, but when you've got to go to the vet. Oh, they've got a respiratory thing. Oh, the bloody <laughs> knees. It's got hip issues. Don't let him run around too much. It'll cost me another 1500 to get another hip replacement. That's all they do is complain about how expensive these dogs are. <laughs> They do seem on it overpriced, uh, absolutely. But for Thomas, you, I have wanted one for the last kind of uh, at least ten years. Like they sort of seem like they've, you know, come into fashion. I don't know for how long now, but when I wanted one ten years ago, they were not this much money. They weren't this popular, and like all of a sudden, the last whatever four or five years, everyone's like, yeah, let's put the price up the French bulldogs for stupid amounts and make them a fashion statement or some crap. But no, I'm not a part of that. I've wanted one forever, I promise. Hey, listening, I won't be complaining too much. No, no, no. They're obviously super dogs and people love it. Listening to you describe kind of what that week that you had leading in with um, with Ali, there's an old saying that goes around, and it, it's this, Hazy, that if you want something done, get a busy person to do it. Mm. And, and you yeah. know, clearly people who have got a lot on their plate have got a lot on the plate because they get things done. And I wonder whether that yeah. might be a good thing going forward, that you might take that on board, that you know, it just takes a little bit of pressure and time off the way that golf can become so consuming for so many people who played at your level. Yeah. It's you know, it's a fine line because I've been, you know, through that whole process where, you know, there's something you really, really want. Um, you know, like for instance for me, um, the start of the year, like I had a pretty solid start of the year but with my status on the LPGA, I really wanted to play well in the Australian Open. That was going to get me some extra status out in the States. And, you know, you go through that, like, trying too hard, thinking too much. You know, I did the same preparation as, you know, the weeks before where I had played well. But I just wanted it that little bit extra. And, you know, sure enough, it, it doesn't really pan out that way. You know, I didn't play that well as the following weeks. And then I go into the, you know, the two weeks after that and play really good golf. And, yeah, here you go. I go to Morocco. I've got worries about a new dog and putting a place on Airbnb. I'm not even thinking about golf and I have, yeah, one of the best weeks from a golfing career. So it's hard to do. I, I'm not, you know, what do you, I probably need to talk to someone about it because, you know, yeah, like for instance coming up, you know, I've got some US Open qualifying here in Orlando and, you know, I don't, I, I really want to qualify for the US Open. I'm, I'm interested to, you know, I, I really need to work out the process that I want to take into this, you know, but should I just not really want it. Um, do yeah, it's that fine line, you know. How do you go about it? But I would obviously lean more towards yeah, you know, like you just you kind of got to let it come. It's it's hard to do, but not worry too much about it and and trust yourself, back yourself, and yeah, just go out and not think too much. Well, one more flippant one along the same lines is maybe we should get you to be assistant coach of the New South Wales State of Origin team, give you something to really worry about for the next couple of months and take your mind off things. That's true. Goodness me. They've cost me thousands in the past. <laughs> you guys don't even know about the extent of the bets as well between Kari Webb and Sarah Kemp. No. It is magnificent. And they've all been pretty much documented, haven't they, Sarah? Um, unfortunately, yeah. The last couple of uh, we, I don't, we didn't even have a bet last year. Like, I didn't even bet off because I knew I'd probably lose. Um, <laughs> and the one, I think it was the year before, was quite demoralising. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on our Instagram. I don't really want to talk about it, but <laughs> you're obviously going to ask me. And um, it would be the one where I had to write a, 
a hobby horse um, with a did I wear a jersey? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. But I just remember that I tried to forget it, riding a hobby horse outside uh, in a public place. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember. I don't want to talk about it. So um, you just mentioned that, um, yeah, I'd be aware too because those old blokes from Queensland, they don't seem to be going anywhere. But anyway, we, won't get too, we won't get too lost in the whole state of origin <laughs> thing. I, um, so you mentioned the US Open. That's clearly on your radar. You're back home now after Morocco. What's, what's directly in front of you, Sarah? Uh, so that. So I'm in Orlando at the moment and I have US Open qualifying here um, not this Friday but the following Friday. So... Just preparing for that um, and hopefully make the US this open. That'd be great. But just before that, um, coming home to play in uh, a new program uh, that ALPJ picked up in New Caledonia, which I think is the week before the US Open. Um, uh, that and then hopefully US Open. Um, probably going to play... I'm not with my status in the States. It's going to be kind of last-minute stuff, whether I'm going to get into some or not. Um, but I've definitely got the Scottish Open and the British Open. So um, this this season's a little bit lighter for me. I've, I've played so much golf in the past in the States and I've been one of those players that have you know, just gone week to week. And this has actually um, been, especially the last kind of month or so, I've been able to just sort of focus on a bit more of my practice and not, you know, worry, go out straight to another tournament and quickly get ready for that. So last week... Um, I don't know. I sound like I'm back. maybe I'm a bit smarter. <laughs> the course <laughs> last week um, was uh, really prepared well for the course. Um, uh, the week before Morocco, it was a really right to left golf course, and um, you know I was I spent you know about ten days really trying to move from the right to left as best as I could, and um, I think with my schedule uh, should hopefully help me coming up. Um, just trying to really get some work done and prepare for. Uh, my limited weeks uh, this year, so um, hopefully it'll, it'll benefit me. It does sound like a uh, you know a new mature Sarah Kemp coming out here, which is a bit scary to me, Sarah. But uh, anyway, that, that aside, true. like you, you, you know, you, it wasn't your best year last year through the LPGA tour, but you mentioned the ALPG there, and I know you're passionate about it. You got the chance to go and play with um, you know some of the young girls coming through, and also some of your idols um, for the ALPG in Asia late last year. I forget the name of the, the, the tournament. Queen's Cup. The yep. Queen's Cup. Thanks, Ellie. I knew you'd bail me out again. Um, but <laughs> you, you found something over there, didn't you? I, I would imagine. And, and it seemed like from then on, you've, you've really regathered yourself. Yeah, um, I did. I sort of struggled uh, in the middle of the year. Um, you know, it's it, again, I didn't play horrible golf. It was just, you know, that kind of, you know, not holding any parts, making these soft up and downs, but it was never far away. So it, it, I never sort of lost the plot, if that makes sense. When it, you know, I missed ten yeah. cuts in a row, but I never, um, even towards that end, you know, that like eight and ninth cut. Um, I think, you know, if I had been striking the ball really badly and, you know, like just playing hold the golf, I think I, you know, maybe would have been in a different place. But I just, I always felt so close, and um, I just tried to stick with that and. I had a, good, a couple of good finishes in the, the LET events just before the Queens. And then, I was like, yeah, I guess it kind of just came together that week. I love Japan and, uh, you know, Webby played for the first time and um, just happened to be in form. And I think I won two out of the three matches, which I'd never done before. And 
Um, yeah, definitely kicked on. Uh, probably, a, yeah, helped with uh, a good start to this season. Now, I don't know if you guys have actually seen Kempi hit a ball, but she hits it like mm. it's on a string. Mm. Like, I've never seen anyone. I still remember <laughs> watching uh, you play. I think we played together at Royal Sydney in an Aussie Open a couple of moons ago. And I remember thinking... I think you'd be biased, yeah. <laughs> but I've genuinely... Probably it's part and parcel of my own golf that I never really hit it straight. But she hits it like it is genuinely <laughs> just running on a pole. So um, we're we're all super excited to see you've jumped up 34 spots in the world rankings as well as account of last weekend. And now I believe you're number two on the order of merit for the Ladies European Tour, which might open up a few more doors for you. Is that right? I, I think it will. Um, I'm not sure of the actual details, but I've got a feeling, yeah, if you finish in the top five on the money list at the end of the season, it might get you into the US Open. Um, might be a couple of little perks like that. So... Actually, that's where I kind of am at the moment, um, planning out what I, how we want to play the rest of the season with the, the uh, smaller schedule of the Ladies European Tour. Do I want to you know, finish out the year and make that one of my goals and try and finish in that top five in the money list or at the end of the year, yeah, play some of these American events? I'm currently trying to work that out. Well, anybody back here or anywhere in the world listening right now, uh, knowing that you've got a French bulldog, We'll be saying, Sarah, you just finish as high up a money list as you possibly can because you're, you're going to need every cent to look after that dog of yours. So um, we wish you all the very Thank best. We're, everybody back here was stoked to see you in the middle of it all yeah. last week and um, hopefully there's going to be heaps more of it. It sounds like you're in a really good place and um, as Elle said, we all know how well you hit it and how good a player you are and if you keep... Doing it the way you're doing it recently, the results will follow. You've got a couple of big things in front of you in the short term. We wish you all the best with those. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Fantastic to hear from Sarah Kemp. And just before you're too far away from her, and she's not on the line now, so we can say nice or not. <laughs> she, she is one of those players, and I know you two know her pretty well. Um, you know her very well, Al. Um, she's one of those players you just want good things to happen to and for, for all the right reasons. I've never heard, you know, obviously in commentary and that kind of thing, you're, you're meant to be as unbiased as possible, yeah. but you could actually hear, you know, Richard Kaufman, who's a guy that I work with a lot, and Mickey Walker, who were the commentators last week for the highlights, you could almost hear it in their voice that they they were barracking for her. And um, and it was lovely because I, I think the whole tour kind of has that mm. feeling about Kempi that she's probably one of the best players on the Ladies European Tour not to have an LET title. And that's partially because she split her time between the LPG and LPGA and Europe as well. But um, she's been a great golfer for a very long time and a real staple of Australian golf overseas. Isn't it funny that, you know, the way her, her 2017 LPGA tour season finished might, you know, is a, disappointing in her own words. It might be the making of her in terms of if you listen to her there, plotting her way through 2018 and maybe onwards into 2019, how, you know, she's strong enough mentally to sort of, uh, use the failures as something to spur her on and, and give her a clearer path that what she really wants to do. I, I'm going to say that she's going to win something on the LET Tour this year for sure. Love it. Yep, hear no go. argument from me. Yeah. Well, wins do come if you stick at it for long enough and you're good enough. And Moria Jatanagan, how did I go? Nailed it. Perfect. Um, finally did it. She stepped out of the shadow of her more um, celebrated um, sister, uh, that will. That, I what's imagine. Her, what's her name? Yeah, that that will that will. Uh, you have a go, Aria. There you go, um, Aria. 
There oh. you go. And you, because I always, I say one, never knowing whether it's the other, and nah. whichever way I go, it's always the wrong way. Is it really area? Yep. As in like the area. A R E A. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. You thought I'd get I'm it wrong. Com- you were super confident that I was going to bugger that up. I've been well. Oh, you were a dollar ten to bugger it up, but <laughs> I've been I've been calling area for five years. Area. Oh, I, sorry, Aria. I know you're <laughs> area. I know you're a big listener of Inside. That's the why road. she's never come on the show. <laughs> um, but that that'll be. I imagine um, Moria. I imagine her win will be uh, likewise celebrated amongst her fellow players. She seems to play with the right spirit. You know, just about every time she tees it up. She's lovely. Mm. Moria. Both of them are. Mm. To be honest with you, I think the the nicest thing when you. When you were watching those last final moments, and they're all over social media, and it's actually worth a bit of a look if you if you need some inspiration. But while while Moria Mo, as she's known on tour, was putting, um, Aria was in the crowd, and as soon as she held that last part, Aria broke down crying. She was so happy. Her mum was there as well, and then you know just being the she's uh, I think about a year and a half older Moria than mm. Aria, and. Uh, and she's one and she has to go and console her sister because she's right. just bawling her eyes out. Right. But, you know, we're so lucky at the moment in women's golf to have these kind of storylines. And it, ironically, it's not the first time that we've brought up the fact that two sisters have actually won on tour before. It was Annika and Charlotta Sorenston mm. um, around about 15 years ago. I think it was in 2001 off the top of my head. But um, Nellie Corder and Jess Corder nearly did it at the start of the year. And I pulled that stat out in February about someone else on tour. And I just think that that's such a, an incredible um, theme for them to have at the moment. And it's going from strength to strength on women's golf. Do you reckon this will open the floodgates for, for Mo? Yes. <laughs> she's she's in the top, world top 20 as yeah. it is. And she hadn't won. Without a win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's an amazing thing to get so to become so prominent without a win. We see... You know, Minji Lee's had a handful of them already, and she's in the same sort of rankings boat. And it shows you how consistent that that uh, Mo has been. Well, she was in the category. I always have this category of people that can win on tour in the back of my head. Hmm. Um, she was in the category that her first win might be a major. And there's a few players like that. I mean, Georgia Hall for me, um, an English girl, is a, a, another um, player in that category. And there's probably about five, Nellie Corder, Angel Yin, all capable of doing so. But Moria was at the top of that list. So the fact that she won an event that wasn't a major um, to start with, I think kind of gives you an indication of the, the expectations put on a golf swing like that. I actually think it's going to help Air as well. You know, that's her new nickname. <laughs> Air Jatanagar. Oh. I actually think it's going to help her too. <laughs> you guys are so close. I keep forgetting how close you are. Speaking of close and continuing to be close, just before we get to a break, um, there's another story in the women's game I want to get to on the other side of the break and catch up with um, a fascinating young lady who plays a golf up in the Northern Territory. But um, Minji Lee just keeps sticking her nose in the frame, doesn't she? I mean, as as much positivity as there is to be taken out of that, and it's good for the bank balance, and that's what you do as a pro. You want to keep making money, and she's making you know good money. But she's at that point now where she wants to win. And I wonder whether she just needs to deal with the kind of inevitable and growing frustration of uh, these these strings of top 20, top 10, top 5 finishes that she's been putting together without getting into a winning position. There will be a frustration in and of itself that comes with that, I imagine. There, there will be. Oh, sorry, Ellie, I won't, I'll perhaps should let you go. It just goes back to the tennis thing that we spoke of a couple of weeks ago, Andy, to me that... Especially on the women's, well, no, both sides now. Mm. You know, there's so many, as Ellie just pointed out, they were names who haven't won majors 
And then you throw in all the ones who have, and it's been a bit of a revolving door on the women's side as well as the men's. Um, every time you come to a key tournament when they really want to win, there's 25 people you can't put a line through. It, it, it's quite yeah, a remarkable yeah, era yeah. In, in professional golf. I mean, do we want a Jack Nicklaus? Do we want a Lorena Ochoa? Of course we do. But, uh, you know, the, the joy of watching the battle unfold on a Sunday afternoon is immense. And Minji's a certainty to win one of these if she keeps putting a name in the frame. She's got to deal with the frustrations, but... You know, she's too good a player not to. Mm. And I think Ali might correct me if you think I'm an idiot, but she's got the potential to shoot low at the drop of a hat. And I think that's what will eventually get her over the line. Yeah, well, with Minji, she's a a supremely good and consistent ball striker. And if she has a good putting week, she wins. Mm. That's straight from the mouth of her coach, Richie Smith. I spoke to him about it last year. And she's doing all of the right things. She's she's actually looking at the, the parts of her game so so closely that aren't going well, that are that are areas that she can really make gains in. Um, and, I, you know, I remember talking to him and they were specifically looking at between 100 and 120 metres, specifically. Like that, that yardage was a yardage that she kept having pop up in her golf game. So they look at that and then they go, okay, that's an area that we're going to start honing in on. And it's not often that you hear, you know, people go down to the range and they hit six irons, they hit drivers. She, she was just belting, you know, pitching wedges for a while because it was a real scoring area. So they're really doing all of the right things in terms of fine-tuning, and uh, it is only a matter of time. I'll be really surprised if she doesn't win this year. So we had, just before we get to the break, we had Minji Lee and Suo on similar trajectories back there for a while. Minji was probably always marginal in front of Sue, but I think we all thought they were going to kind of be um, you know, hammering away at one another on the way through flying the flag and leading the way for Australia. Where's Sue at at the moment? She seems to be, I don't know whether there's a, she's been, you know, change of swing that she's been going through and it's affecting her um, <clears throat> ability to score um, so dramatically, but she does seem to be going through a difficult phase of her career at the moment. She does. She absolutely does. Um, I think from what I understand, she's feeling more at home as a traveling pro than she was, which is on the tick on the upside. And she's rebuilt a swing mm. and, and, and Mike Clayton has, has kept us informed of that. Uh, and that's progressing well. Um, what Mike said last week was just touched on it very briefly and didn't go into it is that she's having trouble with clubs in a bag. And, and a couple of people are telling her to go back to where she once was. And she, she had changed her clubs and she's in the process now of going back to where she had been. So, I think it's a bit of a state of, uh, of flux. Just working in out game. all the very various pieces that need to align to yeah. make it all work properly. Yeah. And there are, there's no doubt what you said is true. I mean, she's drifted off the Mindy Lee pace. I mm. mean, the string's broken there right now. She's got a bit of work to do to get back, Ali. I, um, I think she will. But, you know, Minji and others at that upper echelon of the women's game are so good that you can't afford to have anything going wrong in your in your game, in your bag, in your private life, with a French bulldog, whatever the case may be. <laughs> you need it all to click. Completely. Well, I think the the one thing that it's so easy to forget is while you're sorting your business out with your golf, the tour keeps going. There, There's mm. no leave passes. There's no sick days mm. at all in, in tournament golf. And so often players are out there 
doing the one thing that you don't want to do when you're in an event and that's you know think technically but they don't have the luxury of being able to take the weeks off so mm. um, it, it's an uncomfortable way to play golf I think Sue's had a pretty slow start to the year but it's transitory and she's in limbo and eventually she'll be on the other side of it and do you think that's amplified when you are trying to make your your name in the game and you haven't got a set schedule you haven't got you know everything that comes with being an elite player I think for Sue Sue is, um, I'm trying to, talking about her character, she's a, she's a little bit milder than Minji in, in a lot of ways. Um, and she and she's not very a very assertive character. Um, she knows how to play golf. She knows how to, how to win in, definitely on an amateur level. But in terms of, you know, whether or not she's someone that's going to get in a new environment and really take control of it for herself, that's something that I, I think... Um, Sue's not one of those players that necessarily mm. has that. Not to say that that's detrimental because there's plenty of players that don't have that um, that are still very successful. But I think going to, you know, going over to uh, to Texas to try and create a little bit of a home there will help in terms of getting an apartment over there and just having a place that's her own and her own space to mm. go back to because mm. it's it's super hard for Aussies that are travelling back and forward and she's doing that less now and and that's going to be uh, a positive thing for her in the future i think continue to watch this space she's too talented not to pick up the pieces and um, tack onto the peloton uh, and hopefully go past it one of these days hazy like you said so we're going to break out of the one inside the ropes plenty more to come stick around we'll be back with you soon the golf australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the home page. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. G'day, this is David Graham, and you are Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to the show. About to be joined by Caitlin Riker. It's a terrific, uh, she's a terrific young player with a with an unusual golf story from an Australian perspective. But before we do, speaking of young female players, Lydia Coe is, we all know the Lydia Coe story. It's um, not necessarily been the easiest phase of her professional career in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, Ali, but... Um, as every sort of day goes by, seemingly we okay, we find out a little bit more information, and David Ledbet has decided now is a pretty good time to come out and put his um, two bobs worth in on the evolution of Lydia Coe as a player and his role in the whole thing. And he did it the day before her birthday yeah. as well. That was when the article dropped, which is pretty brutal. And I've got to say, I'm, I'm a big Lydia Coe fan of, of her off the course, and uh, and this kind of stuff just shades that a little bit, and you know. In the article, I think it was through ESPN, um, David commented on the fact that essentially Lydia's parents were the ones that were calling the shots. And, and that was the, the main accusation that, you know, Lydia says she's making her decisions, but really, it's, you know, it's her parents, Gil and Tina. And, uh, and to be fair, her, her family are her team. 
Um, there's a few families on tour that are that are really like that. The Wees are another one. Um, Michelle really play. You know, her parents are, are very involved in her golf and always have been. And and that's not a criticism. It's just you know they've Waves. had the luxury of having mm. family. Gosh, wouldn't we all love to have some mm. family out on tour with us? It's a lonely life. But um, yeah, I mean. I feel like David's got a pretty short memory in terms of the fact that five years prior to these statements, he was, you know, being introduced to to Lydia's game when Guy Wilson had been her coach for the first, say, 11 years of of her life. And, you know, it's so hard for someone like Lydia, who is honestly, she's one of the most lovely, genuine people you'll ever come across. And that, that is just straight from the bottom of my heart. She is a beautiful human. Um, for her not to see someone criticising her parents as them criticising her because mm. she's so young still. She just turned 21, uh, you know, yesterday it's our time. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? But for her, yeah. they're not separated. If they, if someone criticises her family and her team because she's she's still so young, she she I don't think she has the independence of mind yet because of her, purely because of her age. She's mm. incredibly mature for her age, but she hasn't. She, she's still in the age where she's attached to her family. And so, you know, I think she's probably battling with that. And I just, you know, she got rid of Twitter because she was copying so much flack for changing coaches and caddies and she just kind of had enough of it. So he was he was going to the whole, you know, she's burnt out. You know, she was showing symptoms of, you know, exhaustion and fatigue. And, um, you know, these are all the telltale signs that the game's got on top of her and it's too much and she's burning out. This is, I reckon that's, now he he might believe that right that that might be his absolute belief, and you know in our game hazy as reporters and storytellers, you know when somebody wants to tell their side of a story, you know we're open to hear it, and mm. when you're the one on the end of the revelations, you get oh well i'm, I'm I've got something here you know yeah. um but it does come at a cost i reckon if you if you Reveal that sort of stuff. That's pretty personal, I reckon. When you when you when you're saying, you know, the parents, you know, she was exhausted, she was burning out. You know, clearly this wouldn't have happened if people were still listening to me. Um, there's an element, even if it's unsaid, that that's between the lines. I reckon you can read that into it. That if people took my advice, then this wouldn't have been happening, which he didn't say, and that's not on the record as part of the conversation and the report, but. You can take it as read, I reckon, that, that he would think that I would have managed her and looked after her better um, than other people around her have been. Well, um, I hope I'm not out of line in suggesting that that's part of the kind of the narrative, you know? No, oh, I think that's right. And, you know, these coaches, um, uh, the upper end of these coaching, uh, the coaching echelon in professional golf is very headstrong. I think that's probably safe to say. And, you know, if, if you were coaching Ali, and and she ditched you. Mm. Well, that's just... oh, it. Would be very understandable, <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 that would just be the way it goes because yeah. you're Andy yeah. Mai, you're not Hank Haney, you're not David Ledbetter, or anything like that. these guys are dialer quotes too. Mm. Don't, let's not forget that, and they're big names. Um, that's that's a problem that Lydia's unfortunately left herself with. Um, Guy that you mentioned before. I mean, he could have said any number of things over the last five or six years, and he and he hasn't. He's just you know stayed in the background, hasn't said anything when he could easily have dumped the bucket on anyone and I think that's to his eternal credit and you know I, I, I feel for Lydia I think she's such a beautiful person she doesn't deserve to cop grief okay so she's the phenom that she's been still only 21 still wants to 
you know, get to 30 and give the game away. She'll have played enough, you know, pro-level golf and she'll look to live the rest of her life. Thereafter, um, we're about to be joined by uh, another young lady who's at the very, very early stages of her golfing journey. While we're talking all things female golf in the world, um, Hazy, you have brought to our attention uh, a story that hopefully this is going to be one of the very early um, references to in the world of golf. Hopefully this is going to be a story and a name attached to the story that we're all going to know a whole lot, whole lot more about in uh, in the coming years. Tell us a little bit about it before we say hello to our guest. Well, you, you couldn't have said it better, Andy. And before you do introduce um, Caitlin more formally, um, I, it's an absolutely massive thing for not only Golf Australia, but for me personally as a, as a country boy myself, that every boy and girl around Australia, no matter where they live, gets the equal opportunity to compete for uh, the green and gold. Um, it's it's critical. It's paramount, not only in golf, in every sport, and you shouldn't be penalised for where you, where you are. And we've got the great fortune now to be able to cross up to one of the more remote parts of Australia and, and welcome Caitlin Riker. Caitlin, um, you're coming to us from Gove, Northern Territory now. I'm not sure if everyone knows that, but smack bang in the middle of Arnhem Land. Welcome aboard. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and it is. It's one of the more remote places of Australia, and it's a challenge you face yeah. every day in your sporting career. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you, let, let us fill everyone in before we ask you a bit more about yourself. You, you've represented the Northern Territories countless times already at, at the age of 16, and you're just back from Perth where you represented the, the composite team, which is Tasmania, the ACT and Northern Territory combined team in the Australian Junior Championships and did really well. Um, you yeah. are a million miles from Perth, though. Aren't it's hard work to get there. Yeah, it is. It's um, yeah, it's very oh, like expensive and also like taking time off school. But yeah, it's definitely worth it all the time. So to get to Perth to play the Australian Junior Championships, walk us through what you actually physically had to do. You had to you had to get to Darwin, of course. How long does that take you? Oh, um, so the flight from Gove to Darwin is around, I think it's an hour and 15. So, yeah. And then it's from from Darwin to Perth, it's, oh, I think, yeah, four and a half hours. It's about as remote as it gets. Anyway. So, so, so that's <laughs> yeah. where you that's where you are now with your golf journey. I'm interested in your 16 year old. You're actually, as we record this, it's about quarter to nine Melbourne time. So you've taken the morning off school to do this for you. So you're a 16 year old girl who's competing in these championships. You live where you live. How did you first get introduced to the game? Um, okay, so when I was, I think it was about eight or seven or eight, and my oh, junior golf just started in in Gove. And my uncle was going to um, oh, start my cousin up. And I, like, I just finished playing tennis after, like, an injury. So I thought that, oh, yeah, I might give it a go, just, <laughs> just have fun. And I ended up sticking with it. So, yeah, it was pretty much just my uncle. Caitlin, when you started playing golf as well, were there any other girls doing the same thing? There were. Oh, at the time, I think it was just me and my sisters, but... There definitely um, was a few more later in the year or years to come, and it's just grown from there, I guess. But not, but not only girls, Al. Caitlin, how many how many young kids were playing golf up in in your neck of the woods? Was it was it a game that young boys and girls were playing? Um, not back then, but now it definitely is. I think most of the kids here have been introduced to the game through their parents from as. Like, the golf club was very popular back then as well. So, 
with like all the events, like the kids would come along and join junior golf and yeah. Let me talk to you a bit more about the Go My Golf program, Andy and, and Ali, okay. just before we go too far, and, and we'll ask you some questions about it, Caitlin. Um, very rarely, oh, this is the best way to put it, when we talk about some of the great My Golf programs in Australia, sometimes people mention Royal Melbourne. One of the yeah. next one, clubs they mention, Caitlin, is the Gove Country Golf and Country Club. <laughs> no, I'm serious because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that, it's that incredibly popular in 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 Nullumboy on the Nullumboy Peninsula that um, it, it's become one of the great centres in Australia and more than that, Caitlin, you're about the only centre in Australia that's got a predominantly female participation rate in the my golf thing. It's 53 or 54 percent of of members are young girls, and I'm putting that down to you. How, how does that make you feel? Um, I'm actually really happy with it. Yeah, I was just surprised myself, and Mum told me about the like percentage of girls playing as well as boys. And it's just grown so much, especially after a few years of, like, struggle that uh, Gove has gone through. So seeing so many, like, kids come out on the course, have a hit, and, like, really enjoy the game is really amazing to see. It's interesting, Caitlin, because a lot of girls your age would look at, I think you've just turned 16, would look at my golf and think, oh, great, you know, it's good to see. But you've actually taken quite a bit of responsibility within the program yourself and become a bit of a a community instructor. Um, It it shows a lot of leadership for someone that's still a teenager Mm. to do something like that. Yeah, um, it's definitely like I've, oh yeah, taking on this opportunity, I guess it's, Definitely hard work, especially with like everything else. But it's yeah, I enjoy it so much seeing all the kids and like mum's told me that like there's like a few of them that look up to me and that's pretty amazing to see. And I guess that just motivates me even more to like help them out and like get them to like wherever they want to be. So without talking yourself up too much, when they see you pull on the, the Northern Territory shirt or go to an Australian Championship and acquit uh, yourself really well as you did in Perth a couple of weeks ago. Do you think that puts a little star in their eyes? Yeah, I had um, one of the girls, she, like, I was actually just about to leave and she, yeah, I think she just, like, I love her so much. She's the most adorable thing and it's, yeah, I've definitely seen that a little bit and, yeah. That's great. Tell us about the golf course, Caitlin. I, I mean, I've never been up there to play golf. It's about the furthest thing from my imagination to think about going to where you live to have a game of golf, given you know what we have access to down in this neck of the woods. But yeah. what's what's the golf course like? Um, okay, so our courses run pretty much just by volunteers and usually the same two or three members that will do all the greens keeping and keep most of like our buggies and everything like in good condition yeah but i guess that's like the hard part because our course doesn't get mowed very often so it's usually really thick and um yeah the other day i I was playing and it was really hard just to get like a clean shot at the ball most of the time (laughs) so so grass greens grass fairways yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. It's very lush, Andy. It's actually like it's super lush. It's a very wet part of Australia. And yeah. In fact, in, in fact, so remote uh, and so distant from everything, it's often cut off in in the wet season. I mean, it's one of those places that, okay, right. that has the problems of too much water, not not enough. Yeah, right. So what you're saying is Barry with his whippersnipper and a and a tinny in his hand, Caitlin is going out on the weekends and, and keeping it all nice and good shape oh. for all of you. <laughs> so when you go down to play in a national championships and you get to play it 
you know, like an elite golf course, wherever you might be, and it's manicured, you know, completely. Yeah. And, you know, you've got these grand clubhouses. And <laughs> how uh, do you spend the first kind of hour of um, arrival at these places with your kind of head spinning a little bit? It's definitely really overwhelming when I go to all these amazing courses. But, yeah, I tend to get there a couple of days early just to, like, take it all in and definitely have a practice on the greens and try to condition myself to it. Yeah. And what does it do for you in terms of your ambition? You know, do you, do, you have, do you now have that sense that I want more of this, that this is something that I really want to do everything I can possibly do to kind of chase and, and get? Yeah, definitely. It... Um, just seeing these courses definitely motivates me more to like, push myself and to experience more of it because it's just amazing. And I've barely seen any, like, like throughout the world, there's, like, really amazing courses and I haven't seen half of it yet and I'm so excited to get to know them. So back on the course, your course specifically, like, you go to Royal Perth to play the yeah. Australian girls in different uh, the different formats there and, the, and, you know, always an immaculately prepared course Royal Perth the greens are running probably what 11 and a half 12 something like that they would have been for the championship what are the Gove greens running at do you reckon oh um I think mum was saying that it's under 10 I think it's under under 10 and yeah I reckon more like, like under five <laughs> I think um when I go to these courses everyone's like oh yeah Caitlin how's Gove looking and I'm like well, our greens are pretty much either your tee boxes or your fairways. Right. So, <laughs> and our fairways are basically like normal courses rough, but yeah. Well, Caitlin, when you come to Melbourne, uh, I, I don't know whether you would, well, the three of us in here would be absolutely delighted to take you out to the various clubs that we're members at or have, have access to, Caitlin. So we're going to make that pledge to you. When you bring the sticks down to this neck of the woods and you're looking for a game of golf, Make sure you hit Hazy up, and uh, we'll take you out for a game at our places, and um, you can we'll, we'll, we can expose you to even more golf courses in um, in this great part of the world. Oh, that's, that would be amazing! Thank you so much. And Ali aside, you'll see some amazing swings too. <laughs> <laughs> Before we let you go, Caitlin, you have a you know obviously there's a lot of um, issues you confront being so remote. Uh, one of the things is your coach is from Cairns. Which, yeah, he is, yeah. What's I, he, tell us about him. What's his name and how often do you see him? Um, his name's Graham Bolton and I probably see him around four times a year. And actually, yeah, next week I'm going over to Cairns for the, uh, for the Cairns Open just to get some extra competition play and I'll be able to see him over there. So, yeah, that'll be good because I missed my chance to see him this term because of our cyclone that was supposed to come. But... Um, yeah, I very rarely see him, but we always keep in touch and I always tell him like how I'm going and he'll help me all the time, which is great. That cyclone that was supposed to come isn't, they're not words that we usually hear down here (laughs) in Melbourne, Caitlin. (laughs) I have to say though, um, reading your story and, and what you're already putting back into the game was, was pretty inspiring stuff. And I know that financially, um, it's been, you know, kind of a bit of a, a battle in terms of trying to get access to what you need to improve your game. So I'm going to pitch in a hundred bucks towards your golf and uh, and send up a bit of a care package of uh, some golf balls and shirts and stuff like that to the to the My Golf Clinic up in Gove because you know what it's 
you said on your website that you hope to inspire the next generation. Well, you've inspired the last generation as well. So congratulations. Um, I'm getting <laughs> no. a bit teary, actually. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> it's great. Hell, good on you. It's, it's, it's a great seriously thing to do. something that's super cool. And, and I implore all professional golfers as well to look kind of to look back on where they've come from uh, great. as you're yeah. looking forward for the next generation. Uh, that's a great Thank call. you so much. <laughs> what's, on, what's on at school today, Caitlin? Um, oh, actually, I've... Oh yeah, I've got most. Uh, I've got a few subjects, and then after school, I actually go fight it down for Battle of the Bands. Battle of the what? Bands. Sorry, what? Yeah. As a spectator or a musician? Um, uh, musician. Yeah. Well, hello. What? What's your What's your specialty? What do you play? Um. Well, in this band, I'm playing guitar, but I also play a bit of bass and piano, and I also do the songwriting. You, hang on, you're 16 years old. <laughs> You've done more in your first 16 years than Hazy and I have done collectively <laughs> in our entire lives. Which amounts to about 45 years. <laughs> Caitlin, that's outstanding. Uh, all the very best. It's, uh, I'm glad Hazy told us about your story, and I'm glad that we've been able to share it on um, on Inside the Ropes. It's um, There's many and varied stories in this great game, and yours is one of the really special ones in Australia. We wish you absolutely all the very best. I'm sure that... Um, spending 10 minutes with you this morning, no matter where the game takes you, uh, you're going to travel alongside it with a smile on your face by the sounds of things. So um, <laughs> we'll enjoy um, yeah, the Caitlin Ricker story. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Good on you. Um, what a delightful young lady she is. And apologies for Ricker. Of course, it is Riker. Um, that's a story automatically. And I understand why you get a little bit emotional there, Elle, because y- y- you probably see, you've probably seen a whole lot of She's a young girl, obviously, and it's it's never been as easy for girls to find their way, you know, through sporting ranks that it has been for boys in Australia traditionally. Thankfully, that's changing now. But when you've got somebody coming from um, as far back as somebody who lives in that kind of community is, um, and they're doing it the right way by the sounds of it, uh, it's, it gets you right where you live, that sort of story, <laughs> I reckon. Well, there weren't many girls playing golf when mm. I started. so And I was in Melbourne. So I can only imagine what that's like up in Gove, um, trying to create an epicentre, and she's doing just that. So it's, it is genuinely inspiring stuff. Hazy, you, you as part of the um, uh, info about Caitlin, you sent us a link to her YouTube page. Yeah. And if people have listened to the interview and they think she sounds like a cracking young kid, um, they should go and have a look at the YouTube page. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's five or six minutes of you know cut highlights of her career from a, a young girl, and she still is, obviously, but from a um, preteen right through to where she is now. Um, it's quite motivational, actually, and, and also gives you a grasp on just the challenges she faces being that remote. And I keep saying that, but to me, um, as Ali just said then, she's confronting issues that people, you know, the vast, vast majority of Australian junior golfers, wannabe golfers, don't mm. necessarily have to compete against. And that YouTube video is awesome. It, it show, And it shows her for who she is, a smiling, energetic young lady, who's dragging a lot of other kids along with her, and, and I, I couldn't be more full of her praise. Uh, and it's a lovely thing that you're doing, sending some um, gear up. It's a great thing to do. Uh, clearly, there's a financial element to developing the career of somebody who lives in that neck of the woods. And the people closest to Caitlin are trying to generate some funds through a GoFundMe-type setup. If you're interested in the Caitlin Riker story, asf.org.au forward slash athletes forward slash Caitlin slash Riker. If you want to um, go there and make a contribution, um, you most certainly can. And I'm sure everybody involved in the Riker team will be only too happy 
with that. Yeah, she's just trying to get to more and more um, national rankings events so that we spoke recently, you know, glowingly of Becky Kay and of Grace Kim and others who are competing in the Kari Webb series mm. and the good that that's doing them collectively. She wants to be able to just get, just physically get to these tournaments so that she can improve. She's already holding her head well above water when she gets there. With a bit more exposure, I think she can do big things. Okay, before we wrap it up for another episode of Inside the Robes, we do have to deal with the elephant in the room that we haven't wanted to speak about. And we're all on Ryder Cup watch because we love it, even though we're not involved. Um, but it is one of the great events and it's not too far away. Well, the European team, Ellie and Hazy, has been dealt a savage, savage blow this week. I'm not sure how Thomas Bjorn and the team are going to recover from this. I think it's very lucky for the European team that they have got such a long lead time to be able to get over this huge blow that uh, Thomas Bjorn was dealt in a very personal manner too, Andy. Extraordinary. Uh, perhaps I should just cut to the chase and read a letter that was... I think we've, uh, I think we've built it up sufficiently. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, from, from no lesser person than Stephen Atkinson. Addo. Dear Thomas... Reluctantly and with a somewhat heavy heart, I must write to inform you that I wish to withdraw from being considered for a wild card for this year's Ryder Cup. Whilst I have recently won the West Hill Monthly Medal and I've been cut to six, I fear that I may have not made the progress I was hoping for and a world ranking of 52,187 still leaves a little room for improvement. I had hoped that a good showing in the Open might catch your eye, but I think I'm going to have to recognise that my wife may be correct when she describes me as, quote, sadly deluded. <laughs> I realise that this may come as a shock and removes one of your options, but I am sure there are a number of equally good choices available. In any event, the team looks very strong, even without my experience. Also, I do not think I will be available to help as a vice captain, as I am the 2018 captain of the Babaloo Golf Society, <laughs> whose membership runs into the 20s. And I feel it would be unfair to both the Society and the Ryder Cup team if I dilute my time by trying to accommodate both. I am, however, available beforehand if you want to discuss strategy, etc. I'm particularly knowledgeable around Provencal Rose Wine and may be able to help rewind food pairings, something that has been often overlooked, I feel, in previous matches. Once again, many apologies for letting you down and best wishes for Paris. Yours, Stephen. <laughs> That's a body blow. <laughs> That is a body blow right I there. I mean, their the chances are done. Yeah, no, that's... They needed those six shots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, Thomas Shock Bjorn eyes. put that out on Twitter. Oh, God, love it. That's great. And with a, with a response, unbelievable. Where do I go from here? <laughs> Stephen, please reconsider. <laughs> that's great. Uh, good on him and good on them, and we can't wait. There's a lot to look forward to uh, in the coming months, of course, in the great game of golf. Um, Ellie, good to see you again. Great to, it's great my, to see you guys. My coffee shout next time. And Andy, we've got you've got to do some more housekeeping here before we set sail oh, into God, the sunset. Yes, we do. Otherwise, Jesus. we'll just cut the rounds of the Agreed. kitchen. Uh, listeners, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. That's it. So go there, download, do the inside the rope search, subscribe, and if you do, um, leave a five star review, not a four star review, three, two, one, or zero. Leave a five star review only. Um, we're up to ninety one five star reviews, apparently, team. We'd love to get to 100 in the next fortnight. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate if you could review it on iTunes. This helps more people discover it, I'm told. And Hazy, there's a couple of people 
who have given us five-star reviews recently. You are the reader of the reviews. I am, but well, I really need to oh, get this eyes. in anything other than three-point. <laughs> Light Helvetica. <laughs> oh, man. Do you want uh, me to read it? I'll read the first one because yep. I'm a big fan of Bill H. the Pig, and you can read the second one. Bill H. the Pig writes, writes, Entertaining and informative. Really enjoyed your coverage of the U.S. Masters and your insight into a professional golfer's life and struggles. You are great with your interviews. Thank you, Bill Harvey, a.k.a. Bill H. the Pig. Anybody who calls himself Bill H. the Pig <laughs> is a winner in my book, I reckon. Uh, and this is coming from S.A. Patrola. Awesome podcasts, five stars. Get out of the... Go- this sounds a little bit self-congratulatory, but we do it anyway. Um, get <laughs> That's out what of this the- whole segment's about. Get out of the guys and gals. Of Inside the Ropes, I've been listening since your first episode. Love everything about the show. I normally listen to and from work. Makes the drive enjoyable. New segment, Ask Us Anything, has added another dimension to the podcast. Keep up the fantastic work. You're all doing a great job. Also, really like hearing the stories from all your guests. Five stars. Andy Mars a superstar. Best regards, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't write the last bit. I did put that in. That's it. We're done. And, done. If, and by the way, if anybody thinks we should go over to the over to Carnoustie, Kana, and do a, a U.S. Masters type coverage from the Open. Um, write your letters to Craig Hutchison at Croc Media and let him know that that would be a great idea and the whole team should be forced to go over there for a week and do this from there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week to do it all again. Enjoy your week in golf, folks. Bye for now.